They tell me these mics work a lot better when you turn them on, I guess. So I'll give that a try uh, first. And uh, I don't know if our center aisle is really quite center. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to go by the aisle. Now I'm going by the doors. Uh, so. Oh, Lord, help my OCD. Um, uh, as we come to this. Now, on your way in uh, to the sanctuary, a few things were... Uh, going to attempt to accomplish today. We're going to uh, have Holy Communion, kind of the culmination of our time together. Um, but uh, so if you wanted to grab a cup and a wafer, they're on a table in the back. You can kind of, you know, uh, move up uh, while I'm speaking and uh, grab that if you'd like and haven't had a chance to do that already. And then also on your seats on your way in, just did a one-page uh, kind of uh, thing about Lent, I, I don't know necessarily, you know, uh, about Lent, or maybe that was, uh, you know, something your previous church did, or something that, you know, we've done here, uh, you know, regularly, uh, but we're coming to uh, this season, and uh, just kind of explains Lent a little bit, because, uh, you know, some of the questions that I've had, you know, very good ones, uh, like for instance, um, uh, you know, I had someone come up to me, Pastor Christopher, if I take every day from Ash Wednesday until Easter Sunday, uh, it's actually 46 days. So why do they say that Lent is 40 days? Uh, so some of you may know is that, you know, kind of Sundays don't count in Lent. Uh, they are actually a mini Easter uh, service. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of things about Lent um, that are uh, very sp special and precious and, of course, culminate in the Passion Week, but it really is a journey with Jesus to the cross. Uh, the church has had this season uh, for a long time. And a part of what happens when you journey with Jesus to the cross, a couple of things. One is that you kind of come face to face like with our own mortality that, you know, like in regards to the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, there's not anything that we can do about that. It is about the Lord and what he did on the cross and then, of course, rose from the grave. And then also, um, you know, as we journey with the Lord, we see all that he went through. And uh, I think sometimes when we can identify with the depths of the suffering and pain that he bore on our behalf, we are more better to uh, identify with the victory and the new life uh, that comes on that uh, Easter Sunday. So uh, I want to uh, encourage you to, you know, just in, enjoy that. And if there's something of, of Lent, you know, by way of, you know, prayer, um, you know, fasting, other disciplines that uh, you would like for to be a part of your day as you march uh, towards, you know, Passion Week, Good Friday, uh, and Easter Sunday is a, a really good thing. The other thing I wanted to touch base on quickly, and then we'll get started, uh, is uh, in, in regards to Ukraine. Um, and uh, our church's uh, response. Um, there's really kind of three things to it. This past Thursday, we just opened up the sanctuary for a time, had some prayer guides, and uh, anybody that wanted to could come and uh, just pray for Ukraine. Uh, Jared kind of put this together with the slides and um, music and other things. And so, um, you know, that's probably some of how we'll respond sometimes to these things and world events. Uh, is maybe just, you know, open up our sanctuary for prayer, uh, if that's okay with you, and, uh, you know, uh, and just kind of facilitate that more. The other thing is, one of the prayer inserts that we used is on the host table that's right outside our center doors, and so if you'd like to take that and pray those prayers, uh, that would be great. Uh, and then 
third is that maybe in some ways you've thought about as you've watched the crisis and, and what's taking place, um, you know, is, is there any way that I might be able to give? And so what we wanted to do, doing a bit of research uh, this, this week, now in, you know, this is nothing what we're, we're saying you have to do and you've already done something, um, then uh, that, that's terrific. Um, but uh, the, the Wesleyan Church, of which we're a part of this denomination, on these occasions has opened up an emergency relief fund uh, where they uh, make sure that 100% of the funds that are given uh, gets to the field and, and what is happening. And so that's available at wesleyan.org. Uh, and then I also saw that Samaritan's Purse um, is doing quite a bit. They have a hospital that's on the border treating people, uh, and they're at SamaritansPurse.org. So I'll kind of write an email, a summary of these things, so any ways that you want to continue to pray and to give uh, for the situation in Ukraine, uh, to feel free uh, to do that. In fact, let's pray even in this moment. Heavenly Father, we come to you, O oh God, and we just thank you for the time to get into your word and to look at these things and these churches in Revelation. Lord, how you spoke to them, and Lord, what does it have for us today in 2022 uh, in the Lehigh Valley? We believe that you're speaking. Um, and Lord, we also ask that you will continue to be in this whole situation with Russia and Ukraine, with these people. Uh, Lord, those that are helping them uh, at the borders, uh, those who fight. Uh, oh God, we pray that you would come and you would intervene soon, that your peace would reign your will would be done in Ukraine as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, for our series in Lent, we're actually going to be starting a series called Stained Glass. And isn't it nice that we have stained glass in our church um, this <laughs> Sunday? Doesn't it look beautiful? <laughs> so uh, traditionally, stained glass in churches is put there. And, and when you have been in a church with stained glass, you see the beauty of it, not just artistically, but usually there's a lot of beauty because it tells the history, um, many times of scriptures, sometimes it might be the life of Jesus, uh, sometimes it's just um, the words of the church, but stained glass traditionally in a church is just very beautiful. And so as we think about these uh, Sundays leading up to Easter, we think about the beauty of the relationship that we have in Christ. And we think about how um, we can tell the story of Jesus even through our lives in Jesus Christ. But when we also look at the Bible and we look at Isaiah 51 or we look at Isaiah 1 or John 1, we're also reminded that sin stains us. And so one of the things that we're going to look at over these next couple of weeks is the seven churches in Revelation, Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And stained glass is going to remind us of the beauty of our relationship in Jesus Christ, but we're also going to be confronted with, is there sin in our life that stains us and keeps us from having that beautiful relationship with Jesus? So we're kind of going to look at both of those things over the next couple of weeks. Revelation 2 and 3 talks about seven churches, and Jesus writes specifically to these seven churches, and some of them have a wonderful relationship with him, and he is um, telling them and encouraging them. He said, you know, you have been faithful 
during persecution, you have been overcomers. You have um, stood in the face of difficulty. You have kept your first love. But he also has a word because some of the churches need some correction. And he says, you've been lukewarm and you have been immoral and you have tolerated false teachers. And so God is calling the church back to him and back to this right relationship with him. So today, if you would, take your Bibles or your devices, and we're going to read Revelation chapter 1 in its entirety as we kind of set up um, starting to look at the seven churches um, next week. So if you would read with me, uh, starting Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples on earth will mourn because of it. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at my feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look. I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, both what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. They are the, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are 
the seven churches. little time uh, over these weeks of Lent to look at uh, these seven churches. So next week is going to be the church of Ephesus, and then we'll have three weeks where we look at kind of two churches uh, each in one week. Uh, and then we'll look at a Revelation uh, 4 and 5 that actually kind of culminates beautifully uh, with uh, a Palm Sunday. And so while we have it kind of, you know, spanned out that way and uh, over these uh, weeks of Lent, uh, looking at it, we thought what we would do is uh, take this first week, um, and uh, as we've just read, uh, chapter one kind of helps us to see, you know, what the intent is and where we're going for sure. But what we thought is we would take this week and kind of um, ask some questions about Revelation uh, that might help us to understand it uh, as a book. Uh, and so we're going to do that with uh, kind of uh, when, who, uh, and what questions uh, when it comes to uh, Revelation. I don't know how many of you, um, you know, uh, maybe some of you have uh, taken a look and just thought, ah, that's too complicated, you know, and, and just haven't, uh, you know, dived in very much. Maybe some of you uh, are scholars and you've put in a lot of time uh, in uh, Revelation, uh, Revelation is a very popular book to write about because just to be honest with you, uh, books on Revelation and the end times sell like hotcakes. I wish that wasn't so uh, because, um, you know, it's too great a temptation, I think, uh, for too many authors uh, to write about uh, Revelation. And, uh, you know, and we'll kind of look at it like over the weeks, um, but... Uh, actually, a lot that's out there about the book of Revelation uh, is, uh, is slight, slightly troubling. <laughs> um, well, anyways, when we look at uh, understanding Revelation, let's first look at the problem of the when question. Uh, you know, a lot of times when we very first kind of approach Revelation, you know, and then we hear that it's a, a, a apocalyptic literature. And so all of a sudden it's like, yes, like revelation can help me with when, you know, when are the end times? When is this world going to finish? When is it all going to wrap up? Lord, when, you know, is that all going to happen? Is what's going on with their Ukraine and Russia that started coming out very quickly uh, from what that was in the book of Revelation, incredibly. Um, but, uh, you know, so a lot of times that that's what we want to understand. Like, how do we link today's events and how do we know? Um, you know, I had, one, I had one person one time just came up to me. I really appreciate his honesty. But he was like, Pastor, why don't we talk more about the book of Revelation? And I said, well, it's, you know, it's not an easy book to understand. I said, I said, what's your interest in the book of Revelation? He says, well, he says, I figure this way. If I know when the end's going to be, I can live for myself until that time, and then when I start to see it, I'll get my life straight. Well, guess what? The book of Revelation is for the exact opposite of that. The exact opposite. It is about the preparation 
of the church. You know, the, the problem with the when question, one, is that when we start to look in, we can pretty easily begin to shy away because all of a sudden we're reading all of these strange and unfamiliar things like angels and demons and lambs and lions and horses and dragons and these awful monsters. And then there's thunder, lightning, hail, fire, blood, smoke, right? And all of a sudden we're just like, ah. Uh, I'm, I'm checking out, you know. Uh, the other thing is, is that I think sometimes when we come to the book of Revelation with our agenda that I want to understand, you know, how these last and end times events work, uh, we end up really, really missing it because we come to the book of Revelation with a pretty large agenda. And that's really not how God intended it. I think of this verse in James 1, 23 and 25 that says, Those who listen to the word but do not do what it says are like people who look at their faces in the mirror and after looking at themselves go away and immediately forget what they look at. But those who look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continue in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed by what they do. And so what we're going to do over these weeks of Lent is we won't come asking these bigger questions and putting all of this agenda and work that we want to see from the book of Revelation. But what I want to do is I want to posture our hearts so that we might come to the book of Revelation and we might say, God, what is here for me? What are you trying to say to me? And then when we start talking about, you know, false teachings and the Nicolaitans and, you know, all these other things that maybe, you know, you just kind of goes like this when you've previously read it. I think there's going to be some things in these specialist studies of the church that are really, really going to help us, uh, really help us in the book of Lent to draw closer to God. The other thing about Revelation, uh, there's actually eight blessing statements, but you may have heard that in Revelation 1-3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written, because the time is near. And so let's claim the blessing this Lent of coming to the book of Revelation, not with our own agenda and not with all of these expectations, but rather just saying, God, what do you have in the book of Revelation for me? Here's a place where we can begin. Point number two in your notes is the who of Revelation. The who of Revelation. In pursuit of end times and the end events and understanding why Russia is invading Ukraine, we can very easily miss the first five words of Revelation. It says a, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now I realize that for some of you in your particular Bible translations that uh, some of them say the revelation from Jesus Christ. Well, the thing is, is that from and of are the same word uh, in the Greek as it was originally written. So it's rightly interpreted both ways and it depends on the context. And so probably in previous years and, and uh, you know, over, you know, a couple hundred years, yes, they would talk a lot about this revelation that is from Jesus Christ because it is from Jesus 
to John. But more of what we're coming and understanding of the book of Revelation is the importance of it that it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, one of the things that we can do is we can come to the book of Revelation asking this question. What might I learn about Jesus in this book of Revelation? Because I don't know, maybe we should have said this prior to the reading, but did you see how much was about Jesus in Revelation 1? There's a whole bunch there about who Jesus is. God wants us to understand, you know, that he is Alpha and Omega, that he is the faithful one, that he is the one who is coming. And so much of Revelation, I think even more than end times events, that the book of Revelation is revealing who Jesus Christ is. That he was the one who was and is and is to come. That he is the one that went to the cross and the grave and then rose again. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what God has for us in the book of Revelation is to know and to understand Jesus in a way that we never have before. A couple of things that come through in the book of Revelation is that Jesus is one who is victorious and he is one who is holy. And the thing about it is, is that in the book of Revelation, I don't think God wants us to understand the book of Revelation so that we can live for ourselves and then figure out when to get our life straight. This is what I think. It's that I think there's this picture of the Lord as one victorious and holy and then the desire for his church and his people to be the same. To live lives that are victorious over sin to live lives that are holy in very unholy times. Oh, I mean, I look forward to unpacking this even more for you in this, you know, and some I better say for Pastor Tammy here in a few minutes. But anyways, um, you know, that's what we realize is that, you know, that, that is the, the who uh, of Revelation. Point number three in your notes, uh, the where of uh, Revelation in Revelations 1, 9 through 11, as we read, said, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom, patient endurance that um, are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on the scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so what we have in the first couple of chapters here in the book of Revelation is this letter. It is a vision that comes to John and, and later we'll talk about kind of about that vision and, and what it is, how, how he gets it. Uh, and then he's writing this down and the Lord wants him to send the letters to these churches. Now, these churches was actually a seven city mail route um, that, that took place. And so John could get it to them uh, and then get these letters that were sent around. Uh, and so, you know, these words are, are for these, these churches. Now, how might we kind of look at these letters to these churches. Well, one is that we might look at them 
uh, individually, uh, kind of just in our own spiritual formation, look at these churches and understand what it is that Christ desires, because there's a number of things that he commends them for and says, good job here, good job here, but then also what is repulsive to him. And also what pleases God. You know, these things that he wrote about these churches so that we can kind of make sure that individually this isn't us and our lives. At least the parts that he's saying, boy, we must repent. Number two is to say corporately. How does this apply to us corporately, you know, as a whole church body? What does he desire for us to do? And how does he desire us to walk corporately, you know, all together? Uh, three is that we, we might interpret some of this, uh, what helps us historically as we look at the history and what's going on with these churches and what these false teachings are, uh, you know, historically given all of that context, um, but then allow these words to challenge us too. Number four is universally to realize that these words for these seven churches were really for all of us with God's design. And so we're not going to just look at them and say, oh, these are old, old letters, these are old things, these are old churches. Uh, and then eschatologically kind of looking at it and understanding, you know, why it is and what's important uh, for uh, the, the end times. Now, there's some things that really come out and come forward when we look at the book of Revelation. And that is the devil's tactics and how it's been, you know, going on for the church. We know the context for the that these seven churches is that it's been very, very difficult. Nero has come to power in about 60 AD. And then unfortunately, he's followed by Domitian in 81 AD, whose desire was to wipe out the church, that people might worship the Lord Caesar and not Christ. And so there's a few things that we see right in the book of Revelation. One is the persecution of the church and the strength that God wants to give us in the midst of persecution. Second is false teaching and error. False teaching and error. And why we have to be so, so on our guard. And so, so careful. I mean, what is really amazing, you know, just in pastoral history now, being, being a pastor from the early 90s and, and you know, to this point, is, is how much we are availed to by way of the internet. And so I think one of the things that we need as Christians like never before is discernment for what is false and what is right. The third thing that we see is that Satan's tactics is immorality in the church. He doesn't want the church to call sin, sin. He wants us to be compromising. Compromising our standards, compromising our lifestyles. Because it's, you know, not a good witness to the world. And then also, idolatry, idolatry. And that is, you know, the making of other gods. Um, and so what does that mean, you know, even for us today? Now, did I have the what or do you have that? I've got it. Okay, point four, the what of Revelation the other thing we see in the book of Revelation another eight times, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, right? And, you know, the, these words are, are just so critical 
They're, they're not unfamiliar to us because we hear words like it in the gospel accounts. And I think it's just so interesting that Jesus doesn't only teach, but he says, you know, these words, you got to be ready for them. And it's really important that we are. You kind of got to posture your heart a certain way to say, do I really want what Jesus is going after here? Do I really want to understand um, what is happening, what's going on? Revelation 1, 12 to 16, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands were someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool and white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. We can see that in the book of Revelation, he begins with these seven lampstands. Let me give you just some quick observations about these. One is that these lampstands disperse light to a dark world. Jesus said himself, he was in John 8, that he's the light of the world. And he desires for his church to spread his light abroad in dark places. To shine bright when things are most desperate and when there's the greatest despair. Number two is that Christ holds these lampstands in his hands. Important for us to remember that no matter what we face, we're in his hands. The conflict, the persecution, the struggles of this world do not diminish the fact that we are in his hands. No matter who's in office, we're in the hands of God. No matter what's going on in our world, we're in the hands of God. Number three is that Christ walks among his church. Just as he walked along these lampstands, he walks among us. He meets us when he worship. He meets us when he gathers. Sometimes I do that, and sometimes the picture I get, I, I try to get here early and, and pray through the rows of the sanctuary, and the prayers take on various forms, but one of them is just, Lord, would you help us to see you this morning and what you're doing? And then four is that he snuffs out the lights um, of churches. You see, not every church everywhere is shining a bright light. A lot of times the church's light has been diminished or out for a long time, long before they close their doors. And so that's why we want to stay close to his truth. We want to walk in holiness. We want to walk in his light so that his light um, might be bright in the world. <laughs> so as we look at this and we think, what is God actually doing in Revelation? I just want to kind of bring us quickly to just some, some closing thoughts. If we think about 
there's, there are pictures that Revelation gives us. And one is this picture of a harlot that you see as you continue to read Revelation. And when you think about a harlot and the adjectives that might come to your mind, you know, a harlot is someone who has been unfaithful, who has many lovers. One of the things about a harlot is that love is a business. It's a transaction. Harlots are sly and cunning. And when you think about that, Revelation is painting this picture of a, of a person who is a harlot and has many other lovers and doesn't truly know what love is. And then Revelation begins to paint a picture of another person who is the bride. And the bride, when you think of the adjectives about a bride, a bride is one who is completely focused on her lover. She is pure. I've never met an ugly bride. Brides are beautiful, you know. And you think about it, she is, the bride is focused on that wedding day. Brides, we plan everything down to the minute details. We know the music and we know the invitations and we know who's going to be in our party and what the dress is going to look like. And we've been thinking about it for many, many years, right? This is a surprise sometimes to men. But we think about this for like a long time. And when you think about that image of a bride and we think about revelation, that's the focus that God wants us to have for him coming again, is that we've been thinking about it for a very long time and we've been prepared and we've been focused on the one love of our life and we've been faithful and pure and holy. But the challenge is that some of us live like the harlot where we are following a lot of other things in our life. And Revelation begins to divide these two things for us because we have to make a choice in this life of whether we're going to live like the harlot and follow the ways of the world, which um, Revelation refers to as Babylon. There's a whole world structure that Satan is in charge of that kind of woos us away from God. And we can so easily fall into that if we're not careful. And then Revelation points um, a picture of a new Jerusalem. This is the city that just encapsulates all of God's values. It is the place where Jesus, after his death, has already inaugurated, but it will come to its fullness when Jesus comes again. And so when we think about what is God doing in Revelation, he's helping us to make a choice. He's painting this picture of you can live your life apart from me and have many other lovers and other distractions in your life and give in to the ways of the world. And he's going to tell us what happens when we do that because that's a fall in Babylon and there's an eternal consequence for that. And he says, or... You can prepare to be my bride. And when I come again, like that's like, that's the wedding, right? That's when it all comes together and everything that we have looked forward to, Jesus says, it will not disappoint. If we look at Revelation 19, jumping way ahead, um, says, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, right and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints and the angel said to me write this this is another blessing blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb and he said to me these are the true words of god 
we jump down to Revelation 21, verse 2, it says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then we go all the way to Revelation 21, verse 9. It says, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And so we go um, on this last point, the why of Revelation, just very quickly. The why of Revelation, if I could sum it up, we are going to be challenged because some of us have chosen to follow the ways of Babylon and the ways of a harlot where we are just focused and distracted by the things of the world. And we're going to see that in the seven churches where the churches were distracted and God was telling them and warning them, you have time to get it right because my challenge to you is to be the bride and that when I come, whenever that is, like a thief in the night, when I come, I want you to be ready for me. And so we have this beautiful book that just allows us to have this so that we, we can make our choice. We can make our choice of which one we want to be and how we want to live our life. So I hope you will be back next week as we start um, our study starting in Revelation 2 with the Church of Ephesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful um, for your book that reveals to us who Jesus Christ is. And you reveal it to us so that we can make a choice of whether we want to be your bride or not. And really that ultimately is the question that Revelation leaves us with, is what will our choice be and how will we choose to live our life? Heavenly Father, I pray that our hearts would be postured to desire to be a bride that is ready for you, that is praying for your return, that is thinking about it, just really wants it to happen. God, I pray that Trinity Wesleyan Church would be one of those churches that when you walk among your churches, like we just read about, God, I pray that our church would shine bright. And I pray that we would be one of the churches that you would walk among and that our light would shine bright in the world right now. God, we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.